Hello everyone, welcome and thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast, Malaria, Poverty and Politics. My name is Silas Majambere and I have spent the last 20 years of my career in the field of malaria, a disease killing more than half a million people in Africa every year. Today, I'm thrilled to give you a sneak peek of what this podcast is all about. In this podcast, I'll be joined by various experts to discuss the issues around malaria and why it is so entrenched in Africa. We will explore the links between malaria and poverty, the issues of equity in global health, and the politics around aid and funding for public health in Africa. In this episode, I will make a few observations that will constitute the basis of the interviews and debates that I will coordinate on this podcast. But before we get to that, let me first remind us why this discussion is important. Close to 1 million people die every year of diseases transmitted by mosquitoes. In Africa, around 600,000 people died of malaria last year. Malaria is a preventable and curable disease. A few centuries ago, it was devastating most part of the world, including the US, most of Europe, but it has since been eradicated in those parts of the world. So the question is, why not in Africa? Why are we in Africa not able to do or replicate what has happened elsewhere? With so much progress in technology and access to information and knowledge, why are we still losing 600,000 lives every year from a curable and preventable disease? According to old figures, Africa loses an estimated $12 billion every year due to malaria. Here. I'm just talking about the economic impact. But it is impossible to measure the true consequences, the emotional impact and the collective scars of a continent losing half a million of her children every single year. My career in operational research and implementation against malaria has taken me to 25 African countries where I have had the privilege to develop ties and friendships with citizens of those countries. Africa has a lot of talented scientists, health practitioners, and communities that are perfectly capable of dealing with this disease. I have observed the many efforts that have been made in the fight against malaria in Africa and the commendable progress that has been made. However, I have also concluded that there are several issues that I believe deserve more attention if we are seriously trying to eliminate malaria in Africa. And we will try to address these in this podcast. First, we will discuss the links between malaria and poverty and what to do about that. Malaria is a disease of poverty, a disease of poor drainage, a disease of poor housing, Malaria prevails in poor communities and neighborhoods, and it sharply goes down in wealthier neighborhoods. There is nothing magic or super clever about that. Malaria prevails where water is not drained properly, 
where poor houses allow mosquitoes inside, where people cannot afford preventive or curable measures. Those who succeeded in eliminating malaria rooted their strategies in environmental management, house improvement, and access to healthcare. In contrast, malaria control in Africa is largely dependent on commodities handed down by do-gooders. The question becomes, why is Africa not adopting strategies that worked elsewhere? And are we going to continue applying cosmetic band-aids on such a complex issue? Or are we going to address the root causes of the problem? That's the first issue. Second, we will discuss the issue of agenda setting, local ownership and localization of malaria control decisions in essence, what some people call decolonizing global health. This second issue is related to the first. The types of intervention that eliminated malaria elsewhere can only work when they are designed and owned locally. In contrast, although 95% of malaria burden worldwide happens in Africa, the agenda and strategies for malaria elimination funding for it are not set in Lagos, Addis, Dar es Salaam or Maputo. No, they are instead discussed and decided in Geneva, Washington DC, Atlanta, Seattle, Tulane, London, Liverpool and so on. The question becomes, how do we localize the malaria elimination agenda? How can Africa create an environment where the West accompanies or becomes an ally of local efforts rather than dictate them. Inevitably, these questions become political. The politics of international aid, philanthropy, funding for R&D, humanitarian aid, self-determination. Recently, there have been many calls in the media to decolonize global health. Although people might disagree on terminologies, we shouldn't miss the point. How does this renewed awareness of necessity of equity in global health translate into reality beyond the buzz and the likes on social media? How does this go beyond virtue signaling and savior syndrome, but become an actual implementable plan how do we address the systemic power imbalance between the global north on one hand and the global south on the other hand on issues affecting the global south? In 2021, there was a case where several millions of dollars were granted exclusively to seven institutions in the global north through an American NGO to support African countries in the use of data for decision making. So, in other words, in 2021, some funders, and an important one in this case, believed Africa needed scientists from the global north to teach her how to use data for decision making. And mind you, this is not an isolated case, but just one example that shows the condescendence behind these types of decisions. This is a perfect segue to the third issue, and perhaps the most controversial, around funding for research and development, 
but also the decisions around what sort of interventions are pushed by different interest groups in the malaria community. The US President's Malaria Initiative funding is close to $1 billion, and the replenishment campaign of the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis and Malaria has achieved close to $16 billion in investment, in their words, to fight for what counts. Although the needs are many, $17 billion is no small amount of money, and if used judiciously, should yield huge benefits. The question here becomes, is all that funding truly benefiting disease-endemic countries, or is a big chunk of that money servicing expensive overheads and other administrative bureaucracies in the donor countries far from those suffering from the disease we're trying to fight? And of the remaining budget that eventually arrives in those endemic countries, is it used to fund country strategies or is it the donor influencing what is funded or not? As you would anticipate, this age-old problem of malaria does not leave behind just the three main questions that I just addressed. Several other questions are worth addressing and we will do just that. Let me mention quickly a few points and we will get an opportunity to discuss them in depth with my invited guests. In research and development, for example, there is no question that research and development is key to bringing to market new tools that could help combat malaria. Today, several powerful research groups have been formed. However, the best funded and most influential groups and industries working on malaria are not in Africa. If you look at decades of research and development around, for example, a mosquito net touted as the best innovation for malaria prevention for the past few years, several groups and school of thoughts are developed around this tool. Hundreds, if not thousands of research papers have been published about the bed net. Several lobby groups have been constructed around it. When it comes to use, however, and this is the most important part, when it comes to use, our donors are shocked when they are cruising the villages in the rural area for the next donation campaign and find some mosquito nets fencing chicken farms and other vegetable gardens. And while strolling on the beaches after the campaign, they are horrified to see some of the mosquito nets used for fishing. And what do they do? They go back in their offices, regroup, and design a new behavioral change communication strategy. Of course, they will not ask these farmers and fishermen why they are misusing the nets. Because you see, these poor people don't know how to set priorities. And the nets are so exotic and perhaps they don't even know how to use them, you know. So let's pour some millions of dollars into changing their behavior and design hang-up campaigns, for example. In 2011, I sat in such a meeting where some donors had flown several hours to come and present to us how some poor Africans find it difficult to hang a bed net. 
because the nets have a different shape compared to the bed and oh some of them don't have beds you know you can guess how i felt in that meeting i left the meeting wondering whether there is a hope at all for malaria control in africa well let's leave the bed net for now and talk about something else education well, what is the strategy around community education and awareness on malaria is it not a sign of collective failure that today you would walk into a village and find out that a mother who has lost her child to malaria cannot make a link between a pool of standing water next to her house and the loss of her child but in the meantime every year she has seen several land cruisers and pickups and people in branded t-shirts roaming her village and in yet another malaria campaign maybe she got a free bed net but she has never been educated on the relationship between the pool of standing water in front of her house and mosquitoes that transmit malaria and how about research academic research here also there is an issue worth exploring the research being conducted around malaria and the hundreds of publications produced every year on the topic are they serving the purpose of malaria elimination or are they mainly oiling the cycle of publication career progression new funding and more publications there is also those annual meetings those several meetings happening in europe and the us and even australia on malaria in africa every year how useful are those meetings of course there is a value in exchanging knowledge and connecting with other people tackling the same issue and obviously some people benefit from these meetings that's where the deals are made for the next funding or the next job what has become largely accepted as an integral part of work the networking if you look closely at this networking phenomenon who is included and who is excluded from it is this a plain field or does it favor some at the expense of others as i said there are several questions that we need to tackle and this podcast will do just that we will invite various experts we will not have to agree all the time i'm happy to be challenged i will challenge people so that we have an open discussion around this issue of malaria that has been plaguing our continent of africa for so long this podcast will not answer those questions fully but it will attempt to create a dialogue around them i will invite various people who have thought through these questions and many more to share their insights if you want to hear experts weigh in on these questions and many more please consider subscribing to this podcast on your favorite podcast player if you want to share your views please leave a comment and i will get in touch with you if you know someone who should be part of this conversation spread the word i hope you will enjoy this journey with me welcome